Class of 2019, here you are. You have made it. I'd like to spend a moment welcoming your friends and family, moms and dads, grandmas, grandpas, babas and nanas, gam-gams, Uncle Gary, Aunt Ronnie, that other uncle that wasn't invited but still showed up. <laughs> Thank you, principal. I'm looking around for principal. Thank you, principals, all the principals involved here. Maybe you all are in the same place as me. I, I am approaching my own graduation moment myself. And it might come as a surprise, but I've had some people in my life, and maybe you have had them too, that have not been supporters, but they've, they've been detractors. They've said things like, you'll never make it. Your master's, you won't get there. Or for you, high school graduation, it's too far off. You won't make it. You don't have what it takes. If you find yourself in this place, then you can say to them what I said. Mom, dad, look at me now. No, okay. Seriously though, it's been two years since I've been in this pulpit. You can probably hear it by the wavering in my voice. I've got some things stored up to say, so we better get started so I don't keep you here all day. Thank you, Ms. Fui, for reading scripture. I love this passage of scripture, and I think it has a message that is particularly poignant for you all as graduates today. This passage is translated a bunch of different ways in different translations of the Bible. And I think it's important to explore some of these today, so I've picked three that we're gonna explore briefly, just two of the final verses of the passage that was read. And we're gonna start off with the NKJV. NKJV, I know, surprise. Something for everybody here today. So we're gonna start with this passage, verses 21, 20 and 21. And when he, Jesus, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with signs, nor shall they say, look, here it is, or look, there, for behold, the kingdom of God is, can you fill in the blank for me? Within you. So, I'm going to frame this concept this way. There's a challenge that I'm going to leave you all with today. And it's practicing presence to three groups. The first group is practicing presence to self. But that's a bit nebulous and what does that really mean, right? So I'm going to specify just a little more. Practice presence to the unmet needs in yourselves. This is my first challenge that I found buried in this passage of scripture. I see this shining through in this story. I see this practicing presence to the unmet needs in oneself through the artist formerly known as Samaritan leper number 10 in this story. This Samaritan found himself with a skin disease, leprosy. He joined with other folks in the same lot as himself, and they went to go seek out the help that they needed. They knew that they needed some help, and they sought out professional help to get it. And you all know I'm 
two weeks away from being a social worker, and so you might hear me saying, it's important to seek out help when you know you need some. And you might hear, okay, here's a therapist just making a ploy to get us all into therapy to ensure that he has job security for the next few years. And yes, that's part of it. But I also think there's something essential in this, this growing in self-compassion. Because there's moments in life when you'll find yourself experiencing anxiety, going through bouts of depression, and I want you to know that doesn't make you a bad Christian. That doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean you need to pray the gray away, but it could mean that you could benefit from self-compassion. Another unmet need that I see this Samaritan man being present to is his own need to express gratitude. Yes, he was cleansed, but he wasn't healed yet. All 10 of these individuals were cleansed, the passage says, but only one of them was healed. Why? Because this man was present to the unmet need. He knew this timeless truth that is still just as true today, that the best life is the grateful life. This man went and sought out Jesus to express gratitude. So, back to this self-compassion idea, which I think is wrapped up into gratitude. Self-compassion can be hard in the shoes that you are all in today. You are all young adults, and I think this is a particular age when it can be really hard to practice self-compassion, even on days like today where you're being celebrated. This is one of the high moments, the milestones in your life, and even on days like today, at least for me, even on days when I recognize that I am being celebrated, it is so easy to get caught in cycles of self-talk. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Yeah, I graduated, but I'm just not pretty enough, cool enough, cut enough. I'm just not enough. Is this ringing a bell? Or was this just me when I was your age? I think some of this comes from the good intention, the well-intentioned messages that at least I received growing up unintentionally and with the best intentions, but messages that there is a healthy amount, even a required amount of shame involved in being a Christian. To be a good person of faith, you have to hate yourself just a little bit. Isn't it true that we can be the meanest to ourselves? You say things to yourself that you would never say to your friends. Or once again, maybe this is just me, but I would imagine that I am in company today. It can be hard to show empathy, to be present to the unmet needs of someone who you don't truly know. To quote Ender Wiggins from the novel Ender's Game, no, it wasn't just a movie, it was actually a novel before it was a movie, I think it's impossible to really understand somebody, what they want, what they believe, and not love them the way they love themselves. I think that's true. When you really come to know somebody, you can't help but understand and love them. But I think the other side of the coin is when you don't know somebody, it can be a lot harder to really show compassion, to show empathy, to be present to their unmet needs. And when I was in your shoes, I was in the thick of 
trying to figure out who I was going to become, I didn't truly know myself. And like I said, it's a lot harder to really love somebody who you don't know fully yet. When I was a graduate, I was still in this process of searching for what I believed would define me, fulfill me, complete me. And in this cloud of unknowing that I found myself in, I didn't know myself. And it was a lot harder to be genuinely present to the unmet needs within myself because I didn't know fully who, my, who I was, where my roots lied. So my challenge to you would be to give up the hunt for what you believe is your missing piece and take Jesus at his word when he says the kingdom of heaven is within you. But I also recognize that this is almost impossible to do without first going through the rite of passage of searching and questioning and wrestling and beating yourself up and causing self-inflicted wounds and crashing and burning enough to figure out that the only way is to just, just give up the anxious, frantic hunt and settle into the peace of knowing that you have everything you need right in this moment. I'd like to save you all, class of 2019, that pain, but no, actually, I wouldn't, because it's in the pain that we gain courage to create something new. It's in that pain where we find the energy to let something new be created in us. So go for it. Go headlong into the frantic pursuit of empty promises of fulfillment, but please, for yourselves and for the sake of your poor parents and family who will be watching from the sidelines, hoping you sink your roots down into rich soil, come back around to the wisdom of Christ, to this blessed truth that the kingdom of heaven is where? Fill in the blank. Within you. So I said there were three ways we were going to unpack this passage, and the first is being present to the unmet needs in yourself. So here's the next one. And to get into the next one, we're going to read the CEB version of the Bible. It reads this way. Pharisees asked Jesus when God's kingdom was coming. He replied, God's kingdom isn't coming with signs that are easily noticed, nor will people say, look, here it is, or there it is. Don't you see? God's kingdom is already among you. So a little bit different, a nuance here. Among you instead of within you. It's here in the gathering. It's here in the taking care of each other. It's here in the fanning each other with your programs right now as you're in these hot robes. It's in the connecting and in the giving and the receiving of love. In this story, we read about a Jesus who shows, it, shows us what it looks like to see the unmet needs in another. This last year was a particularly tumultuous one for myself. Some of you have probably heard the story or followed via social media the journey that my wife and my wife Linda and I went on to go be a support to my family up in paradise. My family, my parents, my grandma, my aunt, my sister and her boys, my brother and his family all lost their homes on November 8th in the campfire in paradise. It was a traumatic day. It was one of the heaviest and scariest days of my life because the first call I got was from my brother. His family was safe. I was relieved for that. He let me know that my mom 
and grandma were out. He let me know that my dad and my Aunt Sherry, quadriplegic in a wheelchair, had made it out. Heroically, my dad had been pulling in nurses that were running on foot from the hospital into their van. They made it out narrowly, but they made it out. But the trauma came when they couldn't tell me about my sister. Her and her boys were still stuck somewhere up in the fire. So my wife and I, we hopped in a car and we called off work, we called off school, called off internship, and we headed north. And it was up there that I saw the best that faith community has to offer. My sister's all right, by the way. Today is her 39th birthday, Woohoo! So I realized as I was saying that, I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't finish that story. <laughs> she's good, she's good, she made it out. It is a scary, scary day. We headed up and we headed into the trauma of it all. And there amidst the chaos, there amidst hearing the stories of kids your age having to do heroic things that day that nobody should have to do at any age, let alone as freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school. It was up there that we saw the beauty of faith community shining through because nobody that I know of in the church community that I grew up in didn't have a place to lay their heads that night, even if it was only a camper trailer in somebody's driveway. Everybody was taken care of by somebody in the extended network. Even my sister, who doesn't consider herself a Christian anymore, ended up staying with a family connected through the Avenus network who she didn't know, but knew my parents. They opened their doors to this this woman and her two boys, the youngest of which is a wild little dude with special needs, because that's what we do in faith community. We take care of each other. I saw this beautiful rallying of the community that joined around, and while these people were in pain themselves, they were reaching out to tend the wounds of others within the community. And it was beautiful. It will always be something I refer back to whenever I am finding myself arguing for why we should still continue to gather um, in faith community. But I also said I saw the worst, right? The best and the worst. The worst, the dark side, the flip side of faith community, I overheard a phone conversation Somebody I know closely had gotten a call from an Avenist institution not too far away that had plenty of room. They had beds, they had food, they had a cafeteria that was staffed. They said, you can let folks know they can come on up. We have got places to stay for them for as long as they need. But please, only Avenist families. And it broke my heart. It broke my heart because I knew that our Avenist folks were taken care of. They didn't need places to stay. My brother and his family, they stayed in a home where the family had just taken off for the week to Hawaii because they could, and they said, you can stay in our home for this week. The Avenist community was taking care of each other. It was the folks camping in tents outside of Walmart, the ones without faith community that needed it most desperately. And in this conversation that I was overhearing, it broke my heart because the reason, the reason that they said they didn't want any non-Avenist folks 
who were in need to come stay was because they didn't want to run the risk that there might be folks that would be smoking near campus or drinking near campus. Folks with actual wounds, folks without a place to lay their head. So I was caught in this crazy, chaotic place of seeing the beauty, the absolute best side of faith community, but then this side that is really disheartening to hear about. All while at the same time there was groups like Sierra Nevada Brewery that was opening its doors, my family ate more than one free meal in Sierra Nevada Brewery that week. Sierra Nevada Brewery reached out to hundreds of breweries all over the nation and raised millions of dollars to pour back into the community. Seek temples, put out flyers everywhere. Our doors are open. Come and stay. We have food for you, no questions asked. I helped my family members navigate their way through the FEMA Resource Center that was set up in an abandoned Sears building. And there we encountered resources like Red Cross that was just giving money away. You come up and they would hand you a $25 gift certificate or you would stop by another nonprofit and they would give you a gas card or they would give you a gift card for restaurants nearby. I was particularly surprised when we came to the Suchi Foundation, a Buddhist nonprofit organization. We didn't know what they were offering, but I went and sat in there with my parents. We answered some questions. Where was our address? What were our names? Did we lose property? Yes or no? And then they said, okay, we'll call you in a few days. Each unit in my family received a similar message. Okay, we'll call you in a few days. We didn't know what to expect because we knew that thousands and thousands and thousands, potentially as many as 30,000 people passed through their, their booth. When will they really get back to us? What will they offer? But within a few days, they called each member of my family and offered hundreds of dollars. Just like that. They said, come pick up your gift card, it's waiting here. I saw the most beautiful side of faith community. And I also saw the other side. I don't wish for you that you would see only the best side of everything because like I said, it's, it's in the pain. It's in the experiencing the true reality of things that, that we gain the courage to create something new and to let something new be created in us. So, be present to unmet needs in your yourselves, be present to the unmet needs of another, to the friends sitting to the left and to the right of you. And now you might be noticing a trend, widening circles. So for our last level, presence two, we will read this passage of scripture from the NIV translation. Jesus says it this way. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is. Practice presence of unmet needs in yourself, to another, and to all others. I think Jesus here is awakening us to this fact that we have everything we need right here. We have ourselves, the God who is in connection to us. We have others with whom to be community. 
And then we have this larger world that God has created. This larger world with all these beautiful things happening and all these issues, all these problems to which you are called to be solutions. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst. It's here, it's in the larger group, it's in creation. The group that approached Jesus were Samaritans, a people group that Jesus' ethnic group was racist against. But not just that, they were religiously unclean lepers. But Jesus reaches across these lines in order to be present to the unmet needs in all others. So this third challenge, be present to the unmet needs in all others. Sounds kind of overwhelming, doesn't it? Do you ever find yourself in this crazy world wondering how to hold on to hope, wondering if it's possible to really hold on to hope? You're not alone. Me too. But I have come to believe that it is not my duty or your duty just to hold on to hope. I have come to believe these words. The author and activist, this lovely 90-year-old woman, Joanna Macy, this feisty 90-year-old woman says this. She says, I'm not insisting that we be brimming with hope. It's okay not to be optimistic. The feeling that you have to maintain hope can wear you out. So just be present. The biggest gift you have, you can give, is to be absolutely present. And when you're worrying about whether you're hopeful or hopeless or pessimistic or optimistic, who cares? The main thing is that you're showing up, that you're here, and that you're finding ever more capacity to love this world because it will not be healed without that. When hope is hard to hold on to, lean into love. But there will be moments, there will be moments, and celebrate these moments when hope is easy. And when hope is here, lean into it, celebrate it. Let it be your fuel for the labors of your love. But there will also be days when you can't find, it seems, any basis for your hope. The light seems too dim. And on those days, I would counsel you not to beat yourself up about not having hope, not working yourself back into having hope, but rather holding on to love. Because it is, it is not your hope that will change the world, but your love. It is not your hope that will protect those with the boot of a capitalistic society with only room for a few at the top on their neck. It is not your hope that will lead you to rally around the marginalized or dismantle systems of misogyny, patriarchy, and toxic masculinity. By the way, these structures don't just wound the men and women that are lashed out at by these insidious power structures, but also wound deeply those that benefit from them in a way that diminishes their own humanity, my own humanity as well. It's not your hope that will do this work of seeking creative new solutions to society's unmet needs. It's your love. Do you hear that? It's your love. It is not your hope, it is your love. It is your love 
that will do these things, that will guide you to these places. It is your empathy. It is your ability to see yourself in all others. And even when you can't find a commonality between you and another person or a group of people, class of 2019, even when you can't find those commonalities, believe that there is a sacred hum to all the world that ought to be honored and respected. Expression of religion and spirituality looks different in each generation, and it's up to each generation to decide whether or not our religious communities will rise to the occasion and meet the greatest social problems of our age and do so with courageous love. Are you hearing this challenge? It is up to you to decide whether the church in your generation will rise to meet the greatest issues of our age. There are time periods when we see religious community take the lead, steering the ship of society into more equitable spaces. And there are generations when the church seems to be little more than a pawn for the powerful only reinforcing the harmful oppressive structures of racism, of classism, of sexism, and all the other isms that we see in the world. I said earlier that I saw the best of faith community in action because the church family in my hometown took care of each other and it was a beautiful thing worth celebrating. But in the same breath, I have to remember and recognize and name that there are those amongst us that yearn for spiritual community for unconditional positive regard, but are so often denied it. And now as a social worker, I am signing on the dotted line that I will adhere to the core values of this profession, one of which, one of these core values is to seek out the most marginalized groups that I can and to be of service in any way possible. And through this process, through seeking to adhere to these core values, I have had to confront my own bias, my own privilege, my own bubble that I have grown up in. And so I'm speaking as a social worker for the next minute or two. I have wondered from my own privileged little bubble why friends of mine, friends that were denied a place in faith community because of who they were, fought so hard to try and earn a place in a church that would not make space for them. I asked one of these friends once, why are you fighting so hard? I would just walk away if I were you. Why would you, why would you want to be a part so desperately of a group that doesn't value you? And my friend, a minister in the United Church of Christ, gently burst my bubble, gently. She has tact. She gently burst my privileged little bubble and reflected to me the privilege in being able to ask that question in the first place. It is a privilege to consider leaving because there are folks for whom it was never a choice. I recognize that yes, my family was taken care of, but there are those that yearn and need supportive faith community but are denied it. It's not your own hope that will protect your brothers and sisters who do not feel at home in their bodies, and especially those folks of color who find themselves not only in emotional and spiritual peril when they are often excommunicated, unsupported, denied medical care, housing, and community in real life physical danger, 
when they don't feel at home in their bodies. And all of these factors uniting to be the cause of the average life expectancy of black and brown folks in this group of those searching to find and feel at home in their bodies somewhere in the early 30s. It is not your hope that will protect these siblings of yours, but it is your love, your committed love. So it's up to you, class of 2019. You don't need to cast a vision so large as to change the world in one fell swoop. But it is up to you to define for yourselves whether you can be present to unmet needs in others around you. Present to the larger institutions within our society. Institutional racism, mass incarceration, widening social and economic disparities, and whether or not the communities that you are a part of will be the ones that recognize the unmet needs and be unflinchingly present to them, seeking to provide solutions based on good days, resplendent and shining hope, and on all the other days, based in determined, committed love. And I believe in you. I've known a good majority of you for several years, and if this were a different class, this would be a different message. But I believe you all have what it takes what it takes to be present, to guide the church and the communities, the organizations that you will go on to work in, into a commitment of not turning away from the biggest issues of our time, and doing so with love of the same Jesus that crossed the lines of ethnocentrism, racism, sexism, classism, the religious rule of his day to touch those in whom he saw unmet needs. Doing this work Being present to the needs in all others is hard work. And that's why you need people by your side, people in your corner, conversation partners that are present to the unmet needs in you. And you, in turn, returning that gift right back. But even sometimes that can be exhausting. And on those days, you've got to be present to your own unmet needs. And pause for a breath. Rest. Speak kindly to yourself. And doing so, yes, sometimes with hope, but always with love, you will be living in this truth that the kingdom of heaven is within, in your midst, and already among you. This is my challenge to you, friends. This is my prayer. Onwards and upwards, class of 2019. Thank you.